The mission of this podcast is to use our voices coupled with the appropriate knowledge to create a more informed activist, which can then use their voice to create a better present and future for all black Americans. Join us in our journey to change a part of our world that we know needs changing. Because at the end of the day, the conversations about human rights are the ones that need to be had. And they're usually the toughest talks. And I'm Zach Billings. And this is Tough Talks. Hey, what's going on, Adam? Good to see you again, man. Zach, my man. What's up, bro? What's up? I'm doing good, doing good. Uh, this week we kind of have a, a kind of a weird little yeah. board of things to talk about, yeah. and we also have a guest. Uh, you want to introduce him to everybody? Uh oh, hey, we got my man Shane Ward in the building. Hey, how you guys doing? How you guys doing? We're doing great, Shane. How are you, man? How are you? I'm good. You know, just trying to live another day. I hear you, black man. I hear you. So this conversation, man, we're gonna talk about a lot of things because I know Shane has a lot of good ideas, you know, that he wants to communicate to y'all. So I want to start with cultural appropriation. That's our topic for the week, man. So this week's a little different. Um, me and Adam kind of had a busy week, and uh, we kind of started slow. So um, it's going to be a lot of a, a more of a feeling base, and cultural appropriation is not going to take up the entire thing. So we're kind of we're going to go through that and talk about it, and then we're just kind of an open floor discussion between me, him, and Shane. So it's going to be a little different this week, but hopefully it goes smoothly. Mm-hmm. Um, is that who, who wants to start with cultural appropriation? I have a, di- a dictionary definition of cultural appropriation. Okay. And this source, the inclusionsolution.me, if you want to find this, where the, all this information is at. The Oxford Dictionary defines cultural appropriation as the unacknowledged or inappropriate adoption of the customs, practice, idea, etc. of one people or society by members of another and typically more dominant people or society. This power imbalance is significant because it often plays out as members of a dominant culture taking elements from those who have been systematically oppressed, have been systematically oppressed. So when I read that definition, there's a lot of things that come to mind, man, a lot of things. And a lot of people think that cultural appropriation is just, you know, borrowing, you know, there's a stigma. A lot of the counter argument against cultural appropriation is that, oh, we're merely borrowing your culture. Like when you dress in a Native American costume or, you know, you put on, you're a white woman wearing box braids, you know, it's merely seen as borrowing. You're not giving, you know, the credit where it's really due. And that's my issue. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people claim that they're just appreciating the culture without giving the credit, you know, where it's due. You see what I'm saying? So does anyone have any example of those things, Shane? What, what do you have, man? Um, I know when I hear the term cultural appropriation, or at least when I heard it for the first time, I didn't think it was as big a deal as it is, you know, because, mm-hmm. I mean, I have a black mom and a black sister, right. and their hairstyles are diverse sometimes. They might wear straight hair, might wear a wig, might wear a weave. And I was thinking, well, I mean, it goes both ways, right? But then I really kind of started to um, take my time to educate myself and figure out what it is. And right. it's more than the dictionary definition of, you know, taking somebody else's culture. It's taking somebody else's culture when that person couldn't use their culture themselves. Right. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of black people couldn't go to work 
and wear the hairstyles that they could. Right. And now people are taking those and making it their own. A lot of Native Americans, they can't wear those traditional dresses. Uh, a lot of uh, Asian peoples can't wear the traditional dress of their, you know, of their homelands because it's not, it's not correct in America. Right. But people mock it and they use it as costumes. Native American, like you can't play cowboys and Indians. That's not, that's not okay. Right. You can't appropriate that because that's not who you are and it's not something to make fun of, you know? Because right. we, we condemn people for going out there dressing up like gangsters from 2006, but we don't condemn them for wearing Native American costumes and like, uh, in schools. We don't condemn them for wearing like kimonos when that's just, that's not their culture. It's not okay. We can't right. keep doing that, especially when people have been disenfranchised for so long. You know, we, they take away our, our families, they take away our music. And they, it's just constant attacks against our culture, and it's not okay. I think that some instances are better. You know, rap was formed from black culture, but right. it's something that we willingly share. Right. You know, but to take, especially with the Kardashians, to take uh, box braids and then act like it's an invention all of your own, right. it's rude, and you're discrediting people that have, you know, used these things and customs for generations upon generations. That's one of the subtle examples of, you know, white oppression in our society. Right. There is, like I said, there was a power imbalance. There's a group that says, hey, we're going to take better advantage of your culture than you can because we have the means and the intelligence to do so. We're going to do we're going to exploit your culture in a way you haven't because we can and we can do it better than you. You know, I see, you know, a lot of these black black beauty shops. Right. Like a Venus or a Sally. Right. You know, Sally's pretty popular. You know, you walk in the store. Who do you see running the counter? Who do you see running the store? Do you see a black person usually? Oftentimes you'll see an Asian person. Oftentimes you see an Asian woman, right? And um, I was kind of researching into that. I would ask uh, my mom because I'm not gonna, not gonna say her age, but you know, you know, she's a uh, she's seen some things. And uh, apparently before <laughs> she done live some life, I see. <laughs> before um, like the '80s, a lot of these black hair shops were owned by black people, right? And just due to the changing of times, and naturally they don't want certain people to be as successful, uh, even in corporate America. The, the power switches over. They see something that money goes to a lot and they decide you don't get to keep that money anymore. Instead, we're going to keep that money. And that's not just, that's not even just the hair stores. You know, right. that's, uh, that's our communities. There are stores in our communities where you seldom see uh, black people running them. Like I know, like even going like a chicken and waffle spot, you know, in a, um, in a residential uh, area in the city, mm-hmm. oftentimes you won't see somebody of color running that. Right. Or if you do, it's not a black person. Right. And we can look at that and just be like, oh, well, I mean, it's a person, a person that's probably not making a lot of money, trying to make a living. But it's like you're not making a living off of your own people. Why are you not having these uh, stores in your own neighborhoods? Right. You're taking this money from people that are already struggling to make it as it is. And you're bringing it to another community. That, and this community that you're taking it from is not contributing from it at all. At all. Because not only are you taking taxpayer dollars from those communities... You're taking the cash that they have out of their pockets. Exactly. You're robbing them blind, and you're calling it capitalism. But it's so systemic, man, that it, we don't even realize it's happening. We're so happy to feed these companies because oftentimes they're the most convenient, the most easily accessible. They've, they've figured black people out in a sense, right? They, they, they exploit us better than we can exploit our own industries. There's, it makes no sense that a, an Asian woman, you know, and Asian people in general have control over a sector that is all about black people, right? You don't see an Asian woman shopping these black-centered stores. You see what I'm saying? Zach, what do you see that 
you know, among your white friends, do you see them appropriating any any in subtle contexts? Um, <clears throat> before I attack that, um, ahead, I kind of wanted to talk about the definition that I kind of came around. Go ahead, man. Um, came from a lot of different sources, watched some videos, right. um, and from what I understand and I, I agree with it, um, cultural appropriation stems from taking part of somebody's culture without knowing the proper significance and importance behind that piece mm -hmm. of culture. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of significance in African hairstyles and African-American hairstyles. And so for somebody who's white or somebody who's not black to use those types of hairstyles without understanding the significance about it, it you know, that's what cultural like appropriation is. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not just black and white, obviously, like um, a lot of celebrities take advantage of Native Americans and um, Asian cultures just the same. But right. um, for people that I see appropriate, and it comes around to a blatant disrespect kind of um, and not understanding of how important something is because right. a lot of, I, me as a white person, I don't feel like white people have a lot of true culture. A lot of it's on a um yeah a level of like racism and things like that like that's white culture yeah. you know what i'm saying so like yeah. me as a white person i don't have a lot of culture right but there's a way to appreciate it and not appropriate it right and so i'm never gonna go and get at right now you know i'm never gonna go and get my hair braided in cornrows because that's appropriating it. But right. I can learn the significance of cornrows right. and I can go and learn the significance of different hairstyles because like Shane said, a lot of black women and black men get, they, they get denied jobs because of dreadlocks and cornrows and natural hairstyles. Right. And, or like schools will, won't let people graduate. You hear that, that kid um, who was denied being able to graduate, I think it was in Florida, yeah. because he had dreadlocks, yeah. and he had or, never or cut them. Or the wrestler that had to cut his dreads off mid-match, right. or the, the guy wouldn't let him wrestle. But then, you know, somebody who's white can have the same hairstyle. And it's praised. And it's praised. As innovative right. and creative, right? So it, it goes just a lot of different ways. I don't have a lot of friends mm -hmm. who would do that, right. so I don't know how to answer your question in the full, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that... Um, you know, a lot of what we do here is education. So right. through educating myself about other people's right. cultures, I can appreciate it and tell other people why that's not right. Um, on that, I was reading an article. It's called What's Wrong with Cultural Appropriation? These Nine Answers Reveal Its Harm by Masha Johnson. I want you all to go read that. Um, her first point was that cultural appropriation is inappropriate when it trivializes violent historical oppression. So let's take a let's take a current event, right? I'm pretty sure y'all are familiar with the outcry over the name Redskins, the Washington Redskins, right? The owners, and I quote, the owners and fans of the NFL team believe they're honoring Native Americans as well as keeping to tradition since the team was named in 1933. For them, the indigenous activists who are calling for a name change are being too sensitive. For Native people, though the term Redskins carries an entirely different connotation, it reminds them of the time when the colonial and state governments and companies paid white people to kill Native Americans and use their scalps, aka Redskins, as proof of their Indian kill. You know, the she asked in the article, we have to ask ourselves, where is the honor in celebrating genocide for profit? Right? So on that point, man, 
you know, it's, I think this is so silly. It's just so silly that we're talking about this. If you were really down for an organization, if you changed the name, why would that alter your support of that team? Why would changing the name from Redskins to something like, I don't know, Red Rockets or Red Tails? It doesn't matter the name change. Why does that, why does the, why is the name such a significant force for you? Especially if it infringes on the, you know, the history and the culture of another tribe that has been historically disenfranchised. We don't even talk about the current state of Native Americans, man. It's all swept under the rug. You know what I'm saying? We give them a reservation, a couple casino, a couple casinos, and we call it a day. And they're painted as aggressive exactly. and dumb through Western movies and things of that exactly. sort. Exactly. They're the villains in history, man. We paint them as that in movies. As aggressive and, and like untamable. Right, right. And you know what's funny, man? Let's talk let's cowboys a little bit. Uh, Shane, I know you have something to talk about. But just a little, a little side note. You know, cowboys is seen as, you know, Something that white people made, you know, made popular. Shows like Walker, Texas Ranger featuring Chuck Norris. I don't know if y'all know about that throwback. But um, in the show, it paints, you know, Chuck Norris is this almighty white god cowboy, right? But the first cowboys were actually Mexican, right? And there were cowboys of every race and, you know, race and color. Being a cowboy, although it's been painted as a white center thing, for good old boys in Texas and Oklahoma and Nebraska... It's not even something they've started. It's something they've stolen, right? Because, you know, actually we went into their land, stole their land, right? Took, their, took a lot of their, you know, lands and cultures along with it too. But it's not something that's theirs. But they paint it as that so they seem like the good guys in history. And in history books, we praise the, the white cowboys coming in and stealing their land as the victors of the whole thing. Not realizing that it was the Mexicans' lands first that we took by force, Right? Shame. Um, yeah, I definitely I get what you're saying about the uh, stealing their lands. Uh, one of the biggest uh, myths is that the Alamo was a good thing. The Alamo mm, was yeah. definitely a story that I remember learning in United States history. And, you know, you see it on TV and I was saying, remember the Alamo? And I'm like, man, this must have been some great event. The Alamo was ridiculous. Uh, basically, in Mexico at the time, it was like early 1800s, right. slavery was illegal, while in the United States it wasn't. And people would go to Mexico because they had the opportunity to get land that they couldn't get before. Yeah. And so when they got there, they brought that their they brought their enslaved peoples that they had with them. Right. And Mexico, the Mexican government said, you can't have enslaved peoples here. We'll give you time to get rid of them or do whatever you need to not have them in your possession anymore, but you can't have them here. Right. And that's that's a simple request. Like you're you're following the laws of the or you're country. not right or, or you're, you're not. not. And so what they decided to do was. They said, okay, I'm going to just keep them anyway. And then when the Mexican government came to enforce their laws, they wanted to fight them. And as they were fighting them, they lost. And right. they wrote letters and they got them out to the people uh, of America. And America came over and said, remember the Alamo. And they took over Mexican land because some people were upset about not being able to have slaves. Right. And even past that, cultural appropriation um, of all sorts is just is rampant to the point that we don't even really know what qualifies as cultural appropriation because mm -hmm. we can see the things that are trending. We can talk about the hairstyles and the music, but it's so much more than that. Even the vernacular. I don't know mm -hmm. if you guys have heard this term, but it's called Ave or Av. I don't know how it's exactly You got to explain that for the people at home, Shane. Yeah, it's been uh, trending on Twitter for a little bit. It is an acronym for African-American Vernacular English, which is... A.K.A. Ebonics. Exactly. Or uh, I saw one the other day, Blackcent. <laughs> they call it. 
And uh, some people, yeah. I saw, I saw one tweet today. Uh, they said, "Why are you talking this way on Twitter? You don't talk this way in your life." And they said, "This is my online accent." And it's ridiculous. You can't appropriate that because there have been so many people who have been denied jobs because that's the only way they know how to speak. Right. Being having an accent doesn't make you dumb. Mm-hmm. You can be the smartest person in the world and have a have an accent, whether it might not be the best proper English right. or it might be an accent from another country. But you're still a smart person. The way right. that you speak, the way that you dress, the way that you look doesn't determine how smart you are. You can't quantify somebody's right. intelligence by the way that they look and the right. way that they present themselves to you. I tell you this right now, it's personal experience. Um, I I was a little prejudiced against my um, my barber at Georgia State. He's a, right. a fellow student, a freshman, and he came from like a really country town, uh, I think maybe around Thompson, Georgia, and um, he had a very thick accent. Right. And he said, "You probably wouldn't guess it." And he was right, but he was the valedictorian of his class. Not that his school was dumb. He had a very smart school. Right. But he was, like, one of the smartest dudes, like, I've met. Like, just being able to have conversations with him. And I was reminded that those uh, those prejudices that we have against people based off of the, even the way that they speak or they dress, those are programmed to us, into us from day one. Right. There's so many things that the media and TV allows to um, happen, and it's... It's subliminal. It's things that you don't mm-hmm. notice. Like they can't say it out loud. Mm-hmm. These people are dumb people, or these people are bad people. But it's little things that pass every single day. And so, in the back of your mind, switches are turning on and right. off, trying to figure out who's the dangerous person. And because of the way that things are presented, right, the dangerous people are the ones that speak different from the traditional formal English. Right, and it's a it's a very it, this shocks me when I hear this. But whenever you talk, when a black person talks. Pr- Proper, like proper English, mm-hmm. right? In a way that they feel it's supposed to be. It's seen as talking white, talking white. I've always had an issue with that. Why are we? Why do we equate talking in a certain accent and dialect, a certain tone, with being dumb, while another one is associated with being smart and civil? Right? I never understood that. All my life, it, it's made me feel like I wasn't as black as I should have been because even even black people are guilty of this, right? When they hear you speaking in a certain tone with certain words, they deem you unblack. I would be in a regular setting just talking to my friends, right? And I'll say a word that they don't know. I'm like, dude, get your white ass out of here. I'm saying like, what are you talking about, man? And I'm like, man, well, that's such a white thing to say. And I say, what is a white thing to say? Do you know how ignorant you sound? So just because I talk proper, it's because I talk white. That actually looks bad on you, right? That talking, you know, in in a in a less sophisticated sense means that you're dumber. You're, that's basically what you're saying. You equated being white with being smart, and you're saying black people can't be smart because they don't talk like that, right? And it, it just shocks me to this day. I've written several essays on this. I think a lot of that uh, it really traces back to the white savior mentality. Mm. In a sense, you can look back to the earliest days with interactions between right. white people and people of color. There's this uh, sense that they're here to save the day, and you can look at that all through history. Even as they atrociously slaughtered groups of women and children, raped and pillaged their villages, right. it was always what well, we're doing this in the name of what we believe in, and what we believe in has to be right because it's something that we believe in. You can't, you can't do that. It's not fair to the people that are being oppressed. And you might say, well, why do we continue this? Well, I read a quote. It says that um, history is always told from the point of the, the victors. victors you know, yeah. Until the lions have their historians, the hunters are always going to be the heroes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that, you know, it's a very, you know, this cultural appropriation has a lot of vicious cycles, man. I feel like a lot of things we don't talk about is, you know, the economic side of cultural appropriation. Because a lot of people think it's just an attitude thing. It's, it's only a social thing that affects us. No, it affects us more than that, right? Let's talk about music. I'm pretty sure everyone's familiar with the great Elvis Presley, right? Um, same website. This, and I quote, this is particularly true in the music industry whose tradition of borrowing from black artists and promoting white overs over more talented black artists continues to bring the record industry enormous profit. Elvis Presley has always been hailed as the king of rock and roll. The reality is that rock and roll came out, the, came out of the blues music genre and was initially largely shaped by black artists. However, whites were not inclined to support a black artist in the 1950s, so the record industry promoted Elvis and other white stars, while those who actually created rock and roll never received credit for it. Now, not only does this hurt the pockets of those black artists, this is not a quote, this is me talking. Not only does this hurt the pockets of the black artists, this also kind of diminishes their accomplish, accomplishments. You're kind of saying they don't matter and we're going to steal the culture. It doesn't matter because we're more important than them. And also another thing, I digress. Another thing is a lot of the slang that we use today, like words like, I don't know, lit or I don't know, drip. A lot, of, a lot of little shit we like to say, man, a lot of black people started that lingo, you know? And it's weird because, you know, and all these, a lot of these dances, too. Like Fortnite, man, they got a whole big deal because Fortnite steals all these dances and they don't want to give credit to the black creator of these dances, man. We push the culture. We create the culture. But there are those who feel like they can stay. Their culture is auto, our culture is automatically their culture because we're American, Right. And if you want to do that, then you're going to have to you're going to have to give credit where it's due. It doesn't make sense to steal someone's idea and not give them credit under the guise that, oh, we're all in this together. It's all our culture. No, 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 no. Give credit where it's due. You're making money. Hundreds of millions. Of, Fortnite's fucking rich, dog. I don't know if y'all know this. They're almost a, a, a they're a hundred million dollar company, man. On uh, all these TikTokers too, man. All these TikTokers, man, they, 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 TikTok, I, personally, I'm not really a huge fan of TikTok, right? I think it's just, you know, uh, a watered down version of Vine, right? And this little, let's start with this renegade dance. Started by this little black girl. She's, she just now started to get a little credit for it, but when it came out, right, no one really talked about who created it. They were talking about all the, the popular white people who were doing the dance. They were seeing people like, I don't know, Charlie Diamello and, you know what I'm saying? Her name is Jaliah Harmon. Say her name. Jaliah Harmon, right? She created a very popular dance that we all, you know, still dance to this day, right? We all love and support the dance, but we don't love and support the person who made it, right? And that's just, that's not right. That's not right at all because she doesn't get the credit she's due for creating something that makes a black creator not want to push their own content because they think it's already going to get stolen, that's why a lot of black innovator and creators of, I don't know, shirts and, and you know, um, and uh, music and all, the, all these creative industries and all these artistic-centered industries, they're hesitant to put their stuff on the internet, if they're, especially if they have a lower following, because someone with a bigger following who's not black could come in and easily swoop that. And that's why social media is so, it's so difficult, man, because we're trying to put ourselves out here, but the more you put yourselves out there, right, the more apt people are going to come and try to take it. You know what I'm saying? Zach, do you have any thoughts? I think Shane did. Shane did. <laughs>
Yeah, I'm sorry to keep on monopolizing. Um, this stealing is not something new. You know, it's happened for generations, the uh, taking of intellectual property and making it your own. While Thomas Edison did create the correct filament for the modern light bulb. Lewis was, Latimer. Yeah, Lewis Latimer ahead. was the one who created the first filament for the, even the idea in general. Um, I'll say one of the ones that's really least known, uh, ice cream. Vanilla ice cream was created by a black man. Say swear. Say swear. <laughs> and um, the crazy. crazy part about that's it crazy. is that that's my favorite, they didn't necessarily bro. steal his idea, but they didn't give him credit. And on top of that, there was a time in America where black people could only eat vanilla ice cream on certain days mm -hmm. because it was too good for black people. So mm -hmm. how, how dare you? You know, it's a how dare you thing. We created this. So many modern inventions are created by black people, but because there's such a smart thing that we decided we want to innovate into everyday life, you know, we want to innovate into everyday life, they're pushed under the bus. The traffic light, you know, the hot comb. Like there's so, so just so many things that black creators have made and we've been pushed under the bus because, you know, we just didn't have the right face for it. We didn't have the right pigmentation to, mm -hmm. you know, be the face of this. Like we, we created millions of things. I say uh, there was a lady named Henrietta Lacks right. uh, back in, I think, the 50s. And she's honestly the mother of modern day medicine. And you might say, how is she? Because her cells, she had cancer, but her cancer cells were immortal. Ah, their cells, she it. died right. and there are cells that are still alive today. And those cells help create most of the medicines that you'll see at the pharmacy every single day. People don't know about that, but there's a book about Henrietta Lacks. Mm -hmm. And the craziest part about it is her family gets none of the money. At all. And they have to constantly get phone calls from people trying to interview them on it. And they're, they're tired of it at this point because it's like I'm not making any profit of something my mom made like that helped people literally her, her body man her, literally her, her body. body they took her body right and they took these cells they harvested them and they used them for their profit so there's people that are famous for creating certain medicines but they don't give credit where credit is due mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i think an appropriate transition would be you know how do we get into dealing with appropriation versus appreciation because i'll admit it's a little difficult man if you're a white person how do you know you're stealing it versus appreciating it? A week and a half ago when we were talking about this, when we decided we want to do it like right. as a topic, I thought the same thing. Mm -hmm. I thought that, because I remember I was telling you, I kind of struggle with it sometimes because I feel like when I'm trying to appreciate it, I feel like I step over a line, you know? Right. And I don't want to step over that line, so it makes me want to stay away from it to begin with. Right. And I'm talking about all cultures. Right. Um, but then I kind of like I I watch, you know I, we went through this week um, last couple of days and I kind of read what everybody kind of thought about it, right? And then I realized how easy it is to appreciate and not appropriate. Hmm. It's so much easier than I ever would have thought about it, and that's why I feel like education is so important because like beforehand I was struggling with it, and now like I'm in a state where I feel like I can appreciate properly right and so the way that you can do that is one never take anything from another culture without understanding the importance of it right so when i was younger i used to always want to have like cornrows and braids because i thought they were cool you know and then you, i went and learned about the significance of them and the history of them and i was like no i can't have this hairstyle right. and i i that is appropriating right um I, my mom and I, we really enjoy a lot of Asian cuisine 
And so going and supporting Asian businesses and having a lot of like sushi and uh, pho and things like that, that's a way to appreciate. Right. You know, but not um, Katy Perry. Um, she did a big performance one time yeah. and it was Asian themed yep. and she was wearing um, an Asian themed dress, but it was like, it was, it wasn't like any place like it was yeah. like some japanese some chinese so it was like so it wasn't even accurate no it wasn't accurate yeah. at all that is appropriation she is making money mm-hmm. and the way that they defend it a lot of these like you know celebrities will be like oh no i was just trying to to appreciate in ways of rareness and kind of show the the cool part well that's not your that's not the thing that you get to do you don't get to wear traditional asian um dress like that's not you're not allowed to do that Right. And it simply just takes a second, like, you know, like uh, religion and ideology is a part of culture as well. Mm-hmm. But if I wanted to become, let's say, Muslim and I, you know, I researched it and I decided, yes, this is why I do it. Right. No one would hate on me. Like nobody from that culture would hate on me from becoming Muslim because right. I understand the significance and I've decided to make that decision. Right. So, you know, like it's it's literally just making the effort. Mm hmm. People who don't understand, and I was just as guilty, people who don't understand the difference between appropriation and appreciation is simply because they haven't taken the time to really realize what it is. thought, man. You know, you got to really consider, are you doing out of genuine interest or are you doing because you, you know, you find the trend interesting or do you find it like trendy? You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because that's, like I said, like I, I'll be honest with you. I don't think I have much of any culture Mm. um, in terms of like, I don't like you know things like i don't know it's hard to explain so i like to i take a lot of like i like to appreciate a lot of cultures and like to research it because i find it very interesting because a lot of these you know um african like the african-american culture it's very like deep and it's like important and everything has significance right and i don't have any of that but it's cool and like it's very interesting to me to learn about that it's a and lot so, more than cool, yeah. Well, that, that's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. And so then I can appreciate mm-hmm. that. And then it makes me, like, when I hear about that kid who, didn't, who wasn't allowed to graduate or black women not being allowed to get a certain job or wear their natural hair, right. that shit infuriates me because I realize how important it is. Right. And I'm not even black. You know what I'm saying? So, right. like, if people just take the time to, like, really appreciate different cultures, we can kind of get another step forward towards, like, non-discriminating and like trying to help people live their lives uh, properly because there's right. not a certain quality of life like it's it's all dumb it's right. you know not lack of a better word but like it's just it's very infuriating so zach what is your main main what is the moral of the story you want to get across to other allies looking to educate other allies and to support black um black people and their support right what is your advice to other allies questioning whether it's appropriation or appreciation what is your final takeaway from what you said well from one thing i want to say is that simply because one african-american one black person says that it's okay they do not speak for the entirety of everybody who's a part of that culture right just because one person says it's okay for you to have a certain hairstyle does not make it okay right that doesn't give you immunity i think that in any type of thing that you're kind of reaching out to other cultures, you need to properly educate yourself and decide and like look at the importance of it and be mm-hmm. like, if this was something that I, if this was a part of my culture, would I want somebody else who didn't understand the importance and the pain or whatever it is? Right. 
what I like what I want them to use to them. have and use in bar, because bar. it's it's important you know and uh, you know uh, the problem with the US especially is that a lot of these these hairdresses and a lot of these these um, like clothing like they make money off of it right you know and that's a bad part so I think that at, like in anything a lot of what we do here is it's education knowing the importance of things right so basically if you're an ally man here's our first how-to how to be how to be a better um, ally in the sense that you know supporting black culture for what it is and giving credit where it's due how you can educate other allies on you know appreciating cultures rather than appropriating them step one step one ask yourself why I mean, we already touched this why am I borrowing this is it out of genuine interest or is it because it looks appealing and I'm following trends? And this is all from a guide to understanding and avoiding cultural appropriation by Nadir Kadeem, Kareem Niddle, excuse me. Um, how would someone from that group feel about it, right? You really have to struggle and to fight to put yourself in the person of that shoe, in the, the other person's shoe, excuse me. And it's okay to talk to people about right. it. It's, it shouldn't be man. a taboo topic. Like if I wanted to go and talk to Adam and Shane about something before I went and did something, you know, it's it's good to get opinions on it to see how We'd important it is it. to people. We welcome that. Exactly, welcome that. it's important to talk about things, not just have it like eternalized the entire time. Because maybe that your perspective on it and the like your perspective on the importance, you don't see it the full picture. Right. And if you're a black person and a white person comes to you an ally, a non. You know, person of color comes up to you asking these questions. Do your best not to shame them for asking the questions, man, because it takes a certain level of courage to even ask a seemingly dumb question in the first place. Right. Next, next step. Next step. What is the source for materials for material items such as artwork? Was it made by someone from that specific culture? What does this item mean to them? Let us all remember that sacred artifacts are never, ever to be used as accessories. So if you're using someone else's culture as a fashion statement, you're probably wrong. You probably shouldn't do it, right? If you're out there, you know, wearing, you know, a certain type of hairstyle that belongs to another culture, you probably shouldn't do it. If you're wearing a piece of clothing that directly, you know, references a certain period of time where a marginalized group was being oppressed, you probably shouldn't do it. You probably should not do it. Last question. How respectful is what I'm doing to this culture? Am I contributing to the other's knowledge and understanding? Or, in fact, am I spreading stereotypes about that culture group? So an important part of this is blackface. Blackface. A lot of people do blackface to um, contribute to a stereotype of to black people. Jimmy Kimmel is currently under fire. And they, they tried to, I don't know if y'all know this, but the Jimmy Kimmel show... You can tell they're trying to save face with this, but they've added a system where they have multiple hosts for the show to kind of detract from Jimmy Kimmel's little blackface scandal, right? In this blackface scandal, in this show, he was, uh, I think he was impersonating LeBron James, Cavaliers LeBron James, man. And it's the way he was doing it was so disgusting, man. He was trying to change his voice to try to fit the black stereotype lingo, man. He was trying to, his face was painted black, got a little earring and chain, man. It was just, it was obvious, it was obvious that he was being ignorant, right? So just keep that in mind, man. Just, it's not difficult. I mean, basically what Zach is saying is, if you're appropriating, then you're not, you're just not trying hard enough to appreciate, right? If you're appreciating, it's because you're trying to appreciate, 
It's all about consciousness. You got to be conscious of what you're doing or you're going to keep staying in your ignorant ways. If you fight so hard to, to have other people understand where you're coming from when you try to borrow other people's cultures, why don't you in then turn try to understand where they're coming from when they tell you that what you're doing is wrong and ignorant? Why do we have to always come to you? Why can't you come to us a little bit? That's all we're asking, right? Um, do we have any final thoughts on that? Shane, do you have anything to add? I think you kind of hit out, hit all of them, man. Right, right, right. Oh, um, you said after the first one, you said if you are a person of color or a person mm-hmm. whose culture you feel is being appropriated, right. educate them. I mm. see far too often people want people to empathize with their, with their cases. Right. And then they say, well, I shouldn't have to educate you. You should know. The thing is, generally, if you have to educate somebody... They probably don't care don't enough to educate care. themselves. Like they don't want to go look it up because it's not that makes them uncomfortable. They don't want to. Or it so doesn't they, interest when them. When they ask you to educate them, educate them. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. The main thing, the only way to to move forward in life is to constantly educate yourself. You know, that's that's us as well. Mm-hmm. But especially in this particular situation, education is key. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in conclusion, same source. Cultural appropriation is harmful and indefensible. It is not, as many think, a way for one culture to honor another. Needless to say, we have a lot of work to do to mitigate the harmful impact of oppression and the ways some groups still dehumanize, ostracize, and marginalize others. Now, this is not saying we're to stop enjoying, you know, Mexican food if they're not Mexican, or, you know, stop eating fried chicken if you're, if you're black. Well, that's, that's ignorant by itself, so we're not even, you know, even okay. But we're saying to... Try your best to appreciate and to continue to educate yourself on the culture of others. Zach? <laughs> Just because in education, you start to feel like you're an expert on things. If I've educated myself on, let's say, Asian cuisine, that does not give me any right to argue to any Asian person mm. about their culture. Just because I think I know what I'm talking about does not mean that I have the, the f- power of the facilities to tell them right. about their culture. Please don't do it. That is a big thing. Don't try to tell black people about themselves unless you're black, right? So just be, be wary, be mindful. That's all we're asking of you allies. And black people continue to have these conversations, man. I know they're tough. I know it requires a, you know, a lot of effort to, you know, try to get another person to see outside their, their perspective, their purview. But if we want to see real change on these local levels, these are sort of conversations we have to start, you know, at, you know, initiating. So, you know, saying if you ever get tired of, you know, answering these questions, simply don't. I'm, I, there's no excuse. I mean, I'm not going to try to rationalize that. If you want to see change. You gotta, you gotta fight the small battles, no matter how painful they are, right? And cultural appropriation is one of those. It, it goes under addressed. So that's why we're bringing to, you know, light. But there's so many other topics that need to be brought to light. But you know, we feel, we feel that they should just already know, and that's not the case. Like I said, we have to fight these small battles every single day, or we're not gonna see change. You know, change starts with an attitudinal mindset. You know, we have to shift our attitudes on the issue. So we can see a different perspective, so we can address the issue in the way it needs to be addressed, right? So yeah, I think I think that's an appropriate stopping place. Any final thoughts? Uh, I'm good on cultural appropriation. 
Man, shout out my man Shane, man. Shout out my man Shane, you know. Really came through. I mean, I feel like we had a good stimulating conversation, man. I really appreciate you being on the show today, Shane. Shoot, man. I appreciate being asked on the show. I do this, <laughs> I do this every episode. I really could, man. Right, right. All right, right. so to kind of break away, and this is kind of be a, a, a new thing, um, just going to kind of talk yeah. uh, about the world, whatever issues you guys want to talk about. Um, Shane, I know you had a few things on your mind, so you um, go ahead, man. So, Talk um, to him, Quavo. Zach told me earlier that um, he touched on, uh, I don't know if it was touched or if it really went into a deep conversation on uh, qualified immunity. And that's something that's real near and dear to my heart because it's, um, well, I'm doing a speech on it for my class. <laughs> it's something that I find uh, really important. I've done a lot of research on it and just trying to figure out what it is. And so... I don't want to be redundant. Just let me know if I am, just no, based off of what you're talking about. We grazed over it, man. Yeah, we just kind of grazed over it. Well, um, qualified immunity in a really, like if I was explaining this to a four-year-old, qualified immunity basically means that the cops can make a mistake and don't have to worry about it. They don't have to worry about going to it as long as it was, I'm using finger quotes here, in good faith. And... That's a, that's a question, like people often question, well, what is good faith? And a lot of times that's determined by the judges. And those judges generally work well with the cops because they have to. They have to have good working relationships. But to really break down qualified immunity, you have to understand what goes into it. So mm. qualified immunity is not a complete cop-out in the sense that if you do something wrong at all, you're going to be okay with it. Qualified immunity goes through a two-step process. First, and this is the easy part, proving that your rights were on, infringed on in some type of way. You know, right. they, they look at it and they say, was that person like affected in some way that they feel that they were, you know, wrong? And oftentimes that's the easiest part to prove. Like it's real easy to know if I'm getting the crap made out of me that that's, you know, against my rights. Right. But the part that protects cops is the second part, which says you have to find a case that's almost exactly similar. So if you look at the case of George Floyd, oh, not, not just exactly similar, but exactly similar and the case was prosecuted. They were convicted of the crime. And so you're like, well, if there's a new way to kill somebody, then naturally, as long as people use that way, they're never convicted for they're it. They'll never they'll get away with it. So yeah. you look at the George Floyd case, and I'm not sure how well this is going to be held up in court. I'm not sure what's going to really happen. But if I was to apply qualified immunity as a judge that's not very fond of black folk, I would say, well, I mean, I haven't really seen a lot of cases where a man died from asphyxiation on, with the pressure on the neck, you know, right. with two people on their back. You know, there's not a whole lot of cases like that. And what I mean with qualified immunity, since we're already granting it to them, I mean, there's not really much I can do about that. And on top of that, there's a, um, there's a grace period that police have. And I don't, I'm not sure if it fits necessarily in the qualified immunity or just in the police in general. They don't necessarily immediately con get convicted of their crimes. They, mm. get, they get time to, to get legal counsel. While with a regular right. witness, they want to have you and they want to they get all the information out of you. They want to make you slip and break, just like um, how things happen with the Central Park Five. Mm. They, they don't do that with police officers. They let them have time to relax, to be able to get their heads right, to be able to get a Benefit story of down the doubt. Back, yeah. you know, to be able to have um, people that are going to lie for them. Right. You know, and that, that happens so frequently. And so I think the biggest thing we need to do is uh, abolish quali uh, qualified immunity. And some people are like, well, if it's such a bad thing, why is it even a thing? Well, it was, it was put in place in the late 50s or the 60s. And it's kind of, there's, there's good parts of it and bad parts of it. As with every law, there's good parts and bad parts. The good parts are supposed to be when you're a police officer, things happen so quickly. You know, you can't take 30 seconds to decide whether after somebody shoots at you, whether you're going to shoot back. Right. So it gives them that time to be able to react and just do things without worrying about, well, man, I might go to jail for this. I might shoot them. 
um, you know, I might this this might be something that's really against the law. It gives them the time to react. So in that sense, you can kind of understand that. But this is a field where mistakes really shouldn't be tolerated. You don't commend. You don't you don't look at air uh, captains mm. uh, or pilots and you say, well, I mean, not all not all of our pilots are bad. Doctors, just some of them man. just like to crash into the Andes. You know, like, that's not it's not okay. You can't do that. And the same thing I believe applies with police. These are people that are supposed to protect and serve that's their motto to protect and serve right but they get to make mistakes you go through eight months of training with a gun you know just, i'm expected to react normally with a gun in my face not supposed to resist at all but if i flinch even a little bit you're able to be scared right like i don't personally and i'm not trying to go off on a tangent here i think that the training time is for of eight months is not enough they really should have like an associate's degree um i know that in different places of the country um, I'm from I'm from Delaware. I know in Newcastle County, they're really specific on the cops that they get. You have to ha at least have an uh, associate's degree in criminal law, I believe. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure you have to have an associate's degree in criminal law. And um, those people that don't get those degrees, they just go to somewhere like Ellesmere. And um, of course, you guys not really don't know where that is. But, at um, all, they're they're at not all. really great cops up there. Um, oftentimes, they're racist. These are guys that were that were bullied in school and now they think i can come back and i can bully you you know power and man that's not like they they think that that bad gives them an advantage and it's, mm. it's not fair so i think we should definitely give rid of qualified immunity there's so many aspects of america that are broken and the police is just i think the first place to start i mean i would rather not have to worry about that a lot of people are well, you know, not all cops are bad. Things happen. I mean, this happens really far and few between if you look at the, the stats of people. I mean, white people get killed more than black people. I'm like, well, if black people make up 13% of the country and cops do kill people when needed, I would expect that to be a thing. If it wasn't, well, then we'd be having a very different conversation. Yep. Um, there's just, there's so much that goes into really what police have to do. It doesn't even make sense. Eight months, you think eight months is enough time to train somebody on every situation possible? Like, I like to think that I like not I like to not look at cops as completely terrible people, because at the end of the day, they do have a lot on their plate. They're supposed we to respond to yeah. we're talking about and how we yeah. think that their job has too many different facets involved. Exactly. It's too many. We put too much on them for them to do an effective job. You know what I'm saying? They have to Which be responsible. Which leads to overfunding and things like that. Funding doesn't fix those fundamental issues, those structural issues. They have to respond to you know, drug cases, like really bad, really, really bad guys sometimes. But then they also have to respond to maybe the autistic guy that's uh In that, that's kind of like got out of his house and he doesn't know what to do. That's happened. I, I have people that um, my mom is real close with. Her son, uh, it was a man, his son was out in the streets, out and about, and they didn't know where he was. And to have a, a son that's pretty much nonverbal, autistic, mm -hmm. that's terrifying. There's been videos where there have been people that are mentally disabled and they, and their family members had to crawl on top of them because they didn't know how those people would react. It's not fair. It's not fair to the cops and it's not fair to the people to be able to put so much on their, on their backs that they have to take care of. But that also doesn't mean that people need to just get shot. That doesn't give you a cop-out. doesn't give you, well, I have a lot to worry about. It's not a justification. Like, if I'm taking a class in college, I don't get to fail because I had a lot of stuff going on. They're not going to just, well, I mean, I guess I'll give you a passing grade because, no, like if I failed, I failed. That's on me. I didn't communicate with my people. Right. I didn't tell them that I had too much going on. I didn't tell them that I needed help managing that stress. And in the process, uh, bad things happen. In that case, I can try another day and get another A, but people don't get another life. Right. That's, it's, not, it's not acceptable. It's not okay. And it shouldn't be okay. See, people want to like really look at these situations and be like, well, I mean, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. What is it going to take? 
You know, I have a, I have a good amount of white friends. Is it going to take for me to die for you to really start to understand it? Mm. Is it going to take for Adam to die for mm. you guys to really understand that this is a serious issue? And this is not just an American issue. This is a worldwide issue. Mm. Yeah, now, America's publicized a lot because African-Americans are responsible for a lot of our culture um, shared around the world, but there's black people in countries all over the world that are being mistreated all the time. Right. And we can't allow this to keep happening. So I think the first step, before we think of defunding the police, before we think of um, making more positions for the police so that way they don't have so much stress, we need to get rid of qualified immunity mm. because you shouldn't be able to make that mistake. Somebody's life is not a mistake. That's their life. That's not okay. Talk to them. It's not okay. We're not. I'm not collateral damage. <clears throat> Amen. Amen. Well, Shane, that was very well put. That was very well put. You you kind of communicated sort of everything that the average black man feels in America, and I feel like you just did a great job of educating us on a new issue, and not excuse me, not a new issue. But an under undervalued issue, an underappreciated issue, man. A brushed over part. Brushed over, man. So we thank you, man. We thank you for your time. Zach, do you have anything to add? Hey guys, thanks for listening. Uh, we had to stop our recording early this week because we were kicked out of our recording area. But as always, you want to hit us up at toughtalks2020 at gmail.com. We can answer any questions, concerns, or talk about some topic ideas. Also, if you want to follow us on Instagram for our organization, obl.georgia on Instagram. And uh, we also have a Venmo set up for donations so that we can improve our setup and kind of fund our organization that is Tough Talks on Venmo. Uh, thanks for listening as always, and this has been a Tough Talk. Thank you.